Hey, welcome to the Big Self Podcast, still in season four. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. Hey, hey, I'm your host, Shelly Prevost. And we are continuing to provide you with practical tools to use in your everyday life. That is right. We have big ideas. We have big hopes for how all of y'all can use this information. And while we are uh, pretty constantly on the lookout for really great practical solutions that we know are going to make an impact in your life, we also sometimes want to crack open the door a little bit behind the scenes and define our terms. Uh, And that's what we're going to do today on this show. So buckle up. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, you know, we're often talking about what we're not, how are our personalities, our habits, uh, our mental patterns can just keep us looping and looping and ultimately stuck. But what about where we're aiming and that's what we're talking about today. I, you know, I believe actually, Shelly, in past episodes, we've discussed what do we mean by inner work. We talked about that yeah. in October. And we've also defined what do we mean by big self way back in November of 2021. If you want to check that out, that was so, in episode 90. Yeah. So episode 107, we talked about inner work. Wow. You remember that. Nice. And then episode 90, we talked about what we mean by big self. So you can check those out there as well. But overall, today's episode is about what is really meant over the centuries and, and millennia really when it comes to defining this idea of the true self. So warning, just to let you all know, we are going to go a little bit more spiritual than we usually tend to go on this podcast. Uh, But what we are coming to understand is that work uh, it's, it's intrinsically, it's a spiritual act. Like we really believe that. And our, our vocations, they really do carry this um, uh, full potential of realizing our capacities, of really understanding our potentials. So Chad and I both have a Christian background. So we're going to be talking about true self from that lens. But in our work and uh, lots of conversations and digging we've done, we know that this concept transcends Christianity. It is actually alive and well in every tradition. It just has different names. So I wanted to just set you all up for that. It's going to be uh, a little bit more of a spiritual podcast. That's true. And, you know, and it's and the spiritual work is a combination to me in the way I think about it of really actually being grounded in your body, being in tune with your emotions and tracking your thoughts. So this is anything but just a, a mere intellectual exercise. Yeah. This is about, you know, where you're headed as you develop and you grow experientially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not just gathering facts and data, but you know, how do you do some of this practice Mm -hmm. to break down the confines of your ego and step more and more into true self? Yeah. So first we need to know what we're aiming for. We need to know why it would even be important to discover our true self. Like, why is that even a thing that we're exploring? And where did it go in the first place? <laughs> or where did it come from? Maybe that's another question mm. that people might be posing. Another very difficult, challenging one to answer. <laughs> but In 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and big self is the idea of discovering your true self. But so why not just call ourselves true self? Yeah. And we, you know, we've talked about this quite a bit, really what we are doing here in our work, what we're passionate about mm-hmm. is emphasizing, yes, true self, absolutely. But also the importance of ambition. It is not a four letter word. It's not bad to want to make an impact in a large way and really contribute to the world. So it's this still wanting to play big in the world, even even as you're stripping away parts of your personality that are not working as well. Maybe at one point they were functional and kind of got you you know, what we call the, into the, you know, up to the first mountain, but at some point they do 
uh, stop working as well. And so that's really where we think the inner self, the true self work can be incredibly, um, just incredibly valuable for people. So it's both, you know, it's not either or it's both. And, Mm. um, ego is, you know, important and it can drive you into these ambitious areas, but we also need to be talking about true self. Yes. We mean by that. Yes. And, you know, most people don't get there. Uh, you know, I, unfortunately, or I would say many, many people don't get there because they just, they don't develop enough self-awareness to even realize that they are the makers of the reality they continually experience. They right now in the present, yes, the present's all we have, but the present is incrementally constantly creating the future, the future of your reality. So Mm -hmm. right now in the present, it is possible to be having an impact on your future. So, and, and also many others, you know, eventually realize to one degree or another that they are in fact creating some of these very conditions, but then they sort of want to go like, well, you know, others should just accept these things for who I am. Maybe I am a type four and maybe I am. This is my personality pattern, but everyone should just kind of adapt around my sense of melancholy and my superior self (laughs) as a four mind. Can I say that? Right. So (laughs) instead of using it to, you know, the Enneagram in this particular case, which is illustrating to you your false self, right? And instead of using it as a growth path, a lot of people celebrate, yeah, look, me being a type seven. Yeah. I just, I want to make sure people highlight and underline and hear what we just, uh, what we're saying. Your Enneagram type (laughs) is your false self. Yeah. I know. It's like people get really excited. It's not like your Myers-Briggs even, which, you know, this is, it's like, this is your false personality. This is what we're getting to though, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you can't change much in this life, Shelly, mm-hmm. but you know what you can change. You can, you can change yourself. Is well, right? you knew where I was going. <laughs> that is right. That's a fact. You can change yourself. And this is the optimistic, positive message that we are sending to everyone. Yeah. So you can. Yes. It's not yes, easy. And. <laughs> it's actually quite difficult. Um, there's a lot of what I think of as excavating that mm. has, has to happen. Um, so while we're at it, though, let's let's debunk um, a myth or misconception that I think a lot of people have about self-development work. So they're going to justify their resistance to this work altogether by kind of writing it off as it's like this promise of a primrose path. Right. Like, really, y'all? It- it's not easy. I mean, I think like, okay, can I just say this one brief thing about it being hard, but and ongoing, <laughs> but like how sure. that's a good thing. Like, it's like, what else do you want to be doing with your life? Do you want to just like <laughs> sit on a couch? Like when it's all done and just like, what do you want to like light as you can see in nature, there's always a progression. You're always, there's always a, needing to push forward there. You, there are times for rest, but it's not like you just sit around then for the rest of your life. You, yeah. Well, growth is a universal law, right? Of yes, nature. Like things are evolving and moving and progressing in, in growth. Yeah. So yes, there is resistance that you keep pushing through and hopefully it will keep you young in that sense of like resilient to keep doing it. So mm-hmm. that we're not promising a, primrose path. We're not promising a magic pill. No. You We're know promising what, results, but you got to work for yeah, them. And I, you know, this goes back to my just really strong belief in the science of happiness and well-being. Like yeah. it's work. Yeah. To your point, what else are you going to be doing? And it's going to lead to happier, healthier, more fulfilled life. So I think it's ultimately it's a win-win. And I do think there is a bit of, um, complexity and efforting that is a part of the process, but, uh, we really believe in these tools and we think, we think it's worth it. But I will tell you, your ego is going to be threatened. Yeah. Um, the ego does not like change. It wants to be, 
uh, in many ways, the sole source of your functioning because it feels, it believes that it's, it's the way, like it's keeping you safe. It's keeping you, um, with a strong, firm identity. And so any change is going to feel like resistance because the ego doesn't like it. Well, and, and to your point, that's, uh, sort of even the very source of burnout, right? As Parker Palmer, um, you, you really like to quote Parker Palmer on, in general, but on this particular one, burnout isn't giving too much. It's giving what I don't have. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you, you do run out the false, the, the, the ego is limited. Unlike when you tap into your true self, you're tapping into a source that is limitless. Yep. Yes. It's constantly replenished. But think about that. The ego is yeah. fatigued. When, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Go when ahead. you're when you're constantly yeah. working on behalf to keep someone safe, I mean, it does tire, yes, right? It is tiring. And I was this very morning as I was journaling, and I was like thinking a little. So this to this idea of of fear and fear of the unknown. When we don't know what we're getting into, like I mean. I really am aware of how fear inhibits us. It's so powerful. It's not even like fear of the known thing. It's fear of the thing that we don't even know. We can't even say. So, I mean, there's a reason why most people are, as we say, sleepwalking through their lives. Because it's what feels safe and non-threatening to themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would also add, uh, add to that also the perceptions of others so that, uh, when we're sleepwalking to ourselves, we're also sleepwalking to the sting, I think of how, how we fear others might perceive us. Yeah. Very good. Very true for, um, the socially dominant people in the room (laughs) thinking that way too. (laughs) So let's just jump in. Yeah. There's so, there's many things to say. Uh, it's, it's kind of sometimes maybe hard to know the entry point when talking about, uh, the true self. But I, I do think that as we've already kind of begun doing here, that there's a good contrast with the false self. So let's, uh, hear, Let's refer to our notes a little bit here in talking about one of the really most profound, I know it's saying a lot, spiritual thinkers of the 20th century. That's right. You're getting it right here on the Big Self Podcast, the mystic and Trappist monk, Thomas Merton. And this particular quote comes from, for you enthusiasts of Merton, new seeds of contemplation. And by the way, from this quote, you know, you can, if you would prefer to replace the word sin with uh, just the idea of missing the mark, hamartia. If it gets in the way for you appreciating this quote, you could um, substitute that concept. All right, so here it is. All sin starts from the assumption that my false self is the fundamental reality of life to which everything else in the universe is ordered. Thus, I use up my life in the desire for pleasure and the thirst for experiences, for power, honor, knowledge, and love to clothe this false self and construct its nothingness into something objectively real. Hmm. That's good. It is. Uh, And so, you know, we may learn about this false self, But then if we stay in ego, if we don't do like, if we're maybe even doing some psychological work, but if you don't do the psychological work and the spiritual work as you're growing, then you're going to be able to, as you learn this information about the false self, Mm -hmm. you'll be able to, because it's super slick, right? And it's super deceptive, And uh, even unconsciously, this false self will find ways to be modest, right? Or to, to hide and, and, you know, act in the way that we're describing rather than again, being in authentic transformation. Yeah. And I think it, it gets kind of murky, right? And I, we, we admit that we know that this is, um, fuzzy territory when you're talking and trying to distinguish false self from true self. The way that I like to think about it is this. 
the way of the false self is invested primarily, primarily mm-hmm. in your identity and what you possess. Whereas the way of the true self is invested almost completely mm-hmm. <laughs> in who you are and what you can share. Okay. So it's like an ant, like who you are, some identity, and then there's this outward you sharing that gift of yourself. Right. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's very, in my experience and what I've come to believe is that the, that's pretty much what the true self is about is anchoring you and who you really are. Um, and then in your ability to really, um, honor that you can't help but share it. You know, and then I think the true self becomes almost like your biggest cheerleader, mm-hmm. your biggest way, you know, the, the way forward. Um, so that's just a way to th- a little bit. And we'll, we'll share some of our own anecdotes here in a minute. Um, but it's not by efforting, though. That's what I want to say. Like coming to your true right. self isn't done through more effort for work, for working for it. Right. I almost think of it as a settling into it. Um that you know, really beginning to let go of the false self mm-hmm. uh, gives paves way, gives room for the true self to emerge. So there's not a lot of work involved in finding quote finding the true self. Yeah, um, the path of finding it it really does begin with self awareness, um, awareness of yeah. who you are that and and a belief and a knowing that okay, I am shadowed by an illusory person. This false self, even as functional as it might be, right. it's still false. Okay, so the deepening of, of of my spiritual life, or really, I guess, you know, any spiritual life, it, it just, it demands that I first clearly see this false self. And, you know, honestly, whether this is a spiritual practice for people or it can begin with a psychological practice. That's why we really love and emphasize the work of the Enneagram of personality. You know, and we, we need to begin this unmasking and we need to do it mm-hmm. with incredible self-compassion. Yeah. Speaking of fear, you know, and there's, there's reasons as Shelly's been pointing out, that it might have functioned well for us. There's reasons why we mask up in our early lives. So as we get to this stage, you know, you're running, you're running around ragged, maybe, maybe not burned out, maybe languishing, but you're, you're maybe at the top of your first mountain. And then you begin to go, I am a false self and I see it and I don't know what to do about it. Well, one thing you have to do about it is you have to love yourself unconditionally. And I think just being aware, like, okay, yeah, I've built this maybe highly successful prison around me, um, which is often what we do at the top of the first mountain. Um, so, and that's where a lot of our clients come to us. They're, you know, in a lot of ways by all outward manifestations, they would be at a very high point on the mountain. Right. So I want to, another mentor of mine that doesn't know he's a mentor is Richard Rohr. Um, (laughs) and so he talks beautifully about this idea of the false or the true self. And he says, Mm -hmm. um, this quote, I will give you all right now, as it says in Colossians three, three, you who are hidden with Christ in God, that's the true self. And there's nothing you can do, nothing you can do whatsoever to create the self. You've got it. You're stuck with it. The only difference in this room, uh, and this is the room he's speaking to, is the degree of awareness that you draw your life from that. The who you are, who you are is hidden in Christ. So people that believe this, these people tend to be happier. They don't emotionally go up and down like the rest of us because they've seen through the shadow and the disguise of the false self. It's not bad. It's just inadequate. It's kind of stupid. It can't get you there. It can only get you to small groups of people who look just like you do. Right. That tribalism kind of concept. That's where it it tends to lead. And so I, I sort of hear him saying there that the only only reason to understand our false self is in order to move beyond and, and understand 
you know, and experience that the joy and the beauty, the the good life, as mm-hmm. as Aristotle, no, as Plato talks about, the good and the beautiful is what you could aspire to by understanding your true self. Yeah, and I like how he says it's not bad, right? The false self, a la ego, is not bad. It's just inadequate, and it's not sufficient. It's not the whole story. Certainly, yeah. it's not the whole story for people who want a more deeply fulfilled life. Of purpose, uh, yes. and then he ends this quote by saying, "You can't get there; you fall there." Yeah. And so this goes back to this idea we have that it's not about effort; um, it's about the. Um, it's often this, you know, comes at you. And your book, your book, Shock Point, right, talks yeah. about the third force, this force that is an external force that comes at us. That that yes. makes us fall into the true self because when circumstances yeah. in your life reveal, like, oh, I've been living false. Um, this isn't who I really am. And by the way, knowing your false self of knowing your type on the Enneagram can kind of also help you understand your response to being burned out in stress and like what people in your type tend to do. We kind of explored that that issue. I remember with uh, Natalie Kogan, mm-hmm. who I think is a three. Uh, and, you know, and she was, she said, I, for whatever her number is, she was like, I think that we you, don't type other people, Chad. That, that's one of the, well, <laughs> do, we, do we not? Um, but, uh, yeah, that's one of the codes. Uh, but I would say that, you know, the idea is she was like, very like, well, you often need something to be moving you, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And that is such a speaking of nature principles. You often do need something to like, you know, an action in motion, action, reaction to get you out of inertia. You often need something to, to really push you. So, yeah. and by the way, that I, that you can't get there, you fall there. I mean, what a mic drop moment, mm-hmm. right? That's just how you should fit. Every time we talk about the true self, let's just say at our very last sentence, you can't get there. You fall there. And let's just walk away. <laughs> literally, I'll throw this mic across <laughs> is, the rim. That is a mic drop moment. You know, interestingly, and I think this can also help it help us think about it conceptually, is because um, Merton also says, that God is calling us to shift from the circumference you know the the uh, all, think of life as a circle and you're you're around it and the center is that it goes from appearances to like, what's reality? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love that because we do live on the fringes. We live on this perception of who we think we need to be in the world. And I think if we're aware, life is going to deliver us a lot of opportunities to fall into the right. center, to really get it, to get it. Like, that's not me. That's not me. That's definitely not me. And then we get into the center of really discovering a lot of opportunities. So, so from that appearance to reality, so from the fringes to the center, which also reminds me of David Hawkins, mm-hmm. uh, who we like a lot, his definition of the self. He says the self is beyond time, without beginning or end, changeless, permanent, and immortal. And out of it arises awareness, consciousness, and an infinite condition of at-homeness. Yeah. And I, t- I, I, in my bones, I know what he's talking about. <laughs> like, I know yeah. when I'm at home in my true self. I, f- I know what that feels like, what he's saying. And it's this ultimate, it really is, there's a subjectivity from which everyone's sense of I arises and that only we can know. I know, this stuff is awesome, but it is also really hard to put into language, isn't it, without feeling like you're falling into like jargon? And you know, Yeah, but it de- is hard. It, it's describing the indescribable. But as you know... I really like talking about the numinous. <laughs> <laughs> the numinous, yes. Uh, what a lovely word. Uh, well, okay, let's... Um, well, you know, why we're just riffing on amazing thinkers and fun uh, ways of defining even the self. You know, I don't know who's familiar with Frederick Buechner. If you're not, wow. 
boy, do you have a wonderful thinker to explore. A long time ago, he came up with this this fun book called Wishful Thinking, which is, he calls it a, a seeker's ABC. It's like a theological dictionary. If you look up self in this dictionary, it says see mystery, which mm-hmm. I find funny. And then under mystery, he writes, there are mysteries which you can solve by taking thought. For instance, a murder mystery whose mysteriousness must be dispelled in order for the truth to be known. There are other mysteries which do not conceal a truth to think your way to, but whose truth is itself the mystery. The mystery of yourself, for example. The more you try to fathom it, the more fathomless it is revealed to be. No matter how much of yourself you are able to objectify and examine, the quintessential living part of yourself will always elude you, i.e. the part that is conducting the examination. Thus, you do not solve the mystery, you live the mystery, and you do that by not fully knowing yourself but by fully being yourself. Oh boy. I really do like that. I think it's there's a lot to unpack. It makes me think of this story I've seen from the Talmud called uh, uh, it's about Akiba. Mm-hmm. Do you know that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One? I think I think I know which one you're going to go with here. So, as the story goes, when Akiba was on his deathbed, He was bemoaning, complaining to the rabbi that was there with him that he felt like a failure. He hadn't lived his life um, the way that he wanted to. His rabbi then moved closer and asked why. And Akiba confessed that he had not lived like Moses, you know, what, what that means to him. The poor man, he began to cry, admitting that he feared God's judgment and um, obviously getting ready to meet. <laughs> and at this point, mm-hmm. the rabbi leaned, leaned over to him and he whispered gently, God will not judge Akiba for not being Moses. God will judge Akiba for not being Akiba. Hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a good message. Yeah, I do too. And I think there's different words, different names that people replace with that. But that's the general idea is that you will not judge for not being someone else, but you will be judged for not being who you are. Um, so I love that. We could also add that the false self, um, the so, way that... So God won't judge me for not being Jeff Tweedy. <laughs> uh, I, I need to just be... <laughs> I just need to be Chad. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, that's funny. Uh, so we could add here also that um, the false self just in in terms of continuing to unpack that a little bit, it seeks security and significance through personal achievement, right? Which I think, uh, you know, we know we've wrestled with a lot of our clients. Okay. So I want to give just a little bit of example here. Um, And the way that I think about false self and true self for myself, um, I, I think about the, you know, we have this core true self. The false self is a distortion of that true self. And so here's here's what that might look like. And I want you all to apply this story to your own life or this example to your own life. So I have learned um, through a lot of work over the last few years that I am like a true, very true core part of me is actually very loving. Like it's quite easy for me to give and receive love. Yeah, um, That's just, it's a natural gift in me that just kind of, um, it's there, right? It's not hard for me to want to give love to people and care and attention right. and then get give, receive that back. But what happened, you know, along the way, my um, personality got fixated around this belief that I needed to do something to earn it. Mm-hmm. You know, for whatever reason, this is not a podcast about my childhood wounds. <laughs> we can do that later. But <laughs> I, I, I developed a belief that I couldn't really trust that love instinct because I needed now to right. earn it. And so, you know, fast forward many, many decades and my personality gets crystallized. It kind of gets fixated around that core fear and core need. But yet there's still 
remnants of true self in that. And the way that I think about true self versus false self around that for me is the true self is not invested in the outcome. It's detached from it. It's like, that's just who I am. The false self is very invested in the outcome and very attached to what I can get, what needs will be met, what my identity will be. Uh, It's very invested in the result of this loving and so it's not, it's not satisfied with it just being a part of who I am or how I can share my gifts with the world. It's much more um, outcome-based well, for, the, I, for the ego. That is a, a, a vulnerable and just really authentic way of sharing like what is a kernel of an authentic self and sort of just a, a nice little way of like, it gets a little distorted and then it comes out in this way. Yeah. I have a similar thing to share, but my, I don't, it's not quite the same illustration. It's more of the idea of the shadow side. And I am aware of... Which are often very disowned parts yes. of the of okay. the self. Yes, so yes, yes. Thanks for adding that. I... I'm aware of, so like, you know, I've been a teacher and I don't get nervous when I'm like speaking to, <clears throat> to a class and in very small groups or one-on-one, I don't get nervous speaking or introducing myself to everyone, but it's in these contexts. I'll get nervous when I'm doing a presentation to people I don't know, uh, of maybe a slightly larger group. Or, and sometimes when I'm a peer amongst others and I'm, you know, suddenly it's like, Chad, introduce yourself. And I get really, really anxious. And I hear, and then I get nervous about getting nervous and it's this whole thing. And so I began to do this practice of not, and I, cause I kind of was like, well, why am I able to not be nervous in these certain circumstances, but I am in these. And I began to think it's because I want people to to see me as kind of an authority or amazing or, or just be impressed somehow mm-hmm. and unconsciously, of course. But, the, but so underneath it, what I do is I visualize like this shadow side, like what would be almost this monstrous version of the worst characteristics that I can think of myself. And as I begin to introduce myself, I'm envisioning right in front of me, this shadow side of me. And as I do that, it completely kills the anxiety Mm -hmm. because I think what it is, it's like, it's bringing me down to earth in this equanimity And just saying, you're just a person. They're probably not even that interested. They're probably worried about sharing their stories. That's true. And like, and just get over yourself, you know, in a way. Yeah. So I I just want to share this real quick because I I was in a class last week and had a very similar experience. Yeah. And, uh, you know... Immediate was immediately was like, oh God, there's ego. Like really invested in how I show up. Uh, really invested in making sure I look smart. Yeah. And and I, you know, you know, a tool I guess we use is like I, I was like, okay, how do I access true self? Like what's true about me right now? Yeah. Which I think is what you're talking about. Yeah. What's true about me right now is I'm actually okay just being who I am and showing up without all the pretenses. And I think people will like me. Like, I don't have to do and, more yeah, yes, and. to make them, um, you know, To there's not a lot I can do about that. Either they will or they won't. Right. right? That's but a I'm good okay. point, too. Yep. And, so, so, and that's what the true self does. It's recognizing, uh, you know, there's fulfillment in surrendering these illusions and in, in what we, yeah. you, you could call it deconstructing the false self. And so I guess we, we start with the false self in our discussion because, you know, that's, well, it's where we're literally starting from. We're living actually, well, I don't know if we're really originally starting from the false self, but right now everyone listening and including Shelly and myself, we're still in these false self shells and, you know, trying to make ourselves more and more and more aware and really begin to again, beginning to see ourselves as who we already are. Yeah. And we get there by degrees over time. 
So this is not Good just point. a psychological experience. Um, Although there is a way there. There's a way of part like, of the path. Yeah. Absolutely. But at higher levels, it does become spiritual. And again, we've talked about this on another podcast about the little self and the big self taught in Zen Buddhist tradition. Right. Um, but that's, that's what I think it's really all about, right? Like our jobs are, it's to be completely who we are. Mm. I think in order to reflect a dimension of God, source, yes. universe, infinite intelligence, whatever you want to call it, that only we can reveal. So it's nice. not, it's just, it's about getting out of our own way and being who we are, we are not comparing ourselves to others. Oh yeah. And I mean, I think we ended up making ourselves feel really quite bad by wanting to be like others. So, you know, we tend to, you know, puff ourselves up and are constantly feeling better or worse as we compare ourselves to others, at least, well, I've, I've heard that type fours do that, but you know, it's not just pride, Pride of the two, envy of the four, uh, or that, you know, that end up manifesting e- either. It's just so many things that we do to create these illusions to lie to ourselves and mm-hmm. then lie to, to, to others. So, yeah. by, you know, by getting to our true selves, you know, we're, we're aiming to dispel these illusions and to tell ourselves the truth, wake up to ourselves and to the world around us. So... And for, for what it's worth, y'all, the idea of true self, it does go by a lot of different names. We, um, we've kind of mentioned that through this podcast. Mm-hmm. In more secular humanist terms, you might call it integrity. So that's yeah. a word that people use. Okay. And that reminds me, I think you, you hear the expression spark of, of the divine uh, from Hasidic Jews. Uh, you and we just mentioned big self or no self. You hear uh, in Buddhism, and I like to just in a simplified way. It's the being in human being. I think that's what Parker likes to likes to call it. Oh, maybe that's where I got it mm-hmm. from. Yeah, it's it's from your gifts. It's who you really are. That's the that's the kernel. Like that's what we're getting to, um, and your essential nature. You know, so really these, these gifts, this kind of intrinsic quality in you that gets replenished. And like Rohr said, Richard Rohr, you're stuck with it, right? It's not, it's not something you have to do to get. You've already got it. Yeah. And, and I think what Merton and Rohr are saying is that God, or, you know, you could replace that with source if you're uncomfortable with saying God, but God is in the center of that awareness. And from that Colossians 3, 3 quote, it's God is hidden within you, Christ in God in you. Yeah. Yeah. And in a, yeah. a single word, I think I would call it integration. Yeah. Um, the integration of a lot of concepts, honestly, Western right. tradition and Eastern. So true. The shadow to the whole true self, um, integration of the outer with the inner. Um, I think that's what we're really talking about is you know taking these seemingly opposed ideas and bringing them together in this, this really lovely paradox because that's what it's all about. Yeah, it seems opinion. so easy now to think about. It. It's like, well, it's a combo of the Western and the Eastern values. You know? But, um, you know, okay, so Western has been pretty awesome in a lot of ways. Let's face it. Uh, it's brought us democracy. It's brought us the combustible engine. It's brought us electricity. I could go on, you know, but look what it's also done. We are so disconnected. We live in a world of illusions. And I'm, I'm not going to preach here. And actually, I think at a profound time in collective humanity of a massive disconnect, and I don't know what's around the corner for us, but you know, I, in fact, it brings up to mind, like I want to, I, I hear Dr. Phil in my head saying, how's that working for you? <laughs> it's a <laughs> little it's, more Texas drawl. Okay. Than that. Yeah. Nice but try. it's, it's not working. It's not working for us. We do need to integrate these values because look, you can be on top of the world. You can be, you know, running a government or being super famous or owning a jet. And in the end, you could be pretty miserable. I mean, we know the story. Yeah. But I, I want to say this, this is, this is part of the big and big self. And I, 
I really, really, really don't want us to demonize it. There, there, these empirical, the big, yeah. yeah, There's empirical ways to measure results, to view this kind of outer empirical reality. Absolutely, that are really important. It gives us the ability now to examine the good parts, like all the good parts of enlightenment, and where the empirical measurable world has taken us. And so there is this kind of extrinsic reality of thinking of journeying. You know, I think of like the pursuits of kind of these big ideals, these ideas in life and achieving them. So yeah, we just need to hold that while we're also talking about true self. And as you and I know, we, you know, doing that work with true self in sight is so much more fulfilling. I like where you're, uh, I, I like the corrective and that's absolutely true. And it's why like measurables and takeaways and practical outcomes are a part of the coaching process because it, there, there does need to be a tangible empirical result. It's not just all um, inward and spiritual manifesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, I want to bring up briefly, even though we're not going to get into holy ideas, when we talk about the Enneagram and, you know, we do talk about, well, the Enneagram reveals to you your false self and who you're not, but they do also provide us with like an, an idea of where you should be, you could be heading. And that's with, you know, the idea of the, the holy idea. So we do do have a pure expression of ourselves that does get uh, distorted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we need to do a whole other podcast about that. I'll say this real quickly. Yeah. Um, the holy idea, you know, there are nine, uh, actually there's more, but they kind of all, they're, they're all around your type. You have a, a holy idea. Uh, when we're in personality, we become separate from that original idea of who we are and who we're intended to be. And so again, your type has a holy idea that in when you showed up in the world Mm -hmm. and you took on a personality or a false self, you became separate from that ideal, uh, that idea. And I believe these um, nine holy ideas really reveal like a prism, different aspects of infinite intelligence. I love that. And, and so, and you know, we hear sometimes this word of like, well, you fall into who you already are, or you self remember, well, what are you remembering? Mm -hmm. And, and I think sometimes a little exercise can be going into like pretty early childhood experiences and, and trying to really visualize and remember some of our actions in those times. Yeah, I um, just real quickly, I remember as a child, I mean, I probably was like middle childhood. Um, okay. And, you know, again, I've, I've shared this before. I was quite loving, very like, like um, into just, I don't even know how to describe it. Not like I was a spiritual kid, but I just remember being... Uh, deeper, like having, you asked hard questions, yeah, or yeah. curious and I questions. Think just super sensitive and emotional, and very curious about matters of faith and spirituality. And yeah. um, you know, and one time I, had, I was praying beside my bed, and I was kneeling, and my mom walked in, and she was like, "What are you doing?" And it was—I know she didn't mean it to be like a ridicule, but it felt like that. And so it felt, you know, and in um, my family, who was a very kind of uh, intellectual, kind of heady family, um, I think I was the only heart type in this family. I, I, I learned to disconnect from the sensitivity and these emotions and this kind of very core spiritual, curious person that I was at a young age. And so, you know, through my adult life, I've tried on all these masks of like, well, let me let me use it this way. Let me use it this way. Let me use it that way. And so much of it um, hasn't resonated and really kind of getting back in touch with that very core, true part of me. Um, And the holy idea for my type is holy freedom. And so it's this holy idea that I don't have to do anything to earn love, that I'm not separate, that I do, I am free to be who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. 
And I think there's a, there are a lot of nuggets there for you to take away from. You're, you're bringing to mind for me, if I go, I actually, I remember we were in Tiburon, California. I was like six years old and I was beginning to really feel convicted by my dad's sermons. Like they were really beginning to make, oh, six, you know? And I was like going, well, I, why am I not like walking this aisle and professing my faith uh, in Jesus. And I remember finally I was about seven when I was like one day I was like, I'm I'm going to do it. I and I I just raised my hand and I walked down the aisle and I did the whole thing. And so I so what are some takeaways from that early experience? Well, it was like I felt an earnestness. I felt uh, an emotional and and somewhat in my head call to doing the right thing, mm. and I didn't hesitate to act on it when I understood that it was okay for me to do that. So uh, th- I think there might be some traces of self remembering uh, in there. I've always had that like activator part in me of like just take action. Yeah. Which feels, you know, again, this is not the, this podcast, but your arrow to one, like really doing the right thing and being activated yeah. around that. Um, I think that's interesting to explore. Well, we've covered some terrific ground. Yeah. I want to say one thing that, the, yeah. so I, the, this whole idea of dismantling illusions mm-hmm. and these false fronts that we put on, that's the work. Like yes. that's it. And I want to say so much of the stress that you're carrying around is your unwillingness or inability to do that. I think that when we are not living out of our true self, or at least in pursuit of the true self, we create a lot of internal unconscious friction. And we are holding that. And our our soul knows that and holds that for us. And I think we create a lot of... Um, our our world calls it stress. Yeah, um, it's it's this kind of inner knowing that I'm not showing up. I'm not living out of my true nature. Um, and you all know if you're not. When I say that, you know, like this is not what I want. This is not who I am. And so that is a lot of the friction that's created from that divided life is is pretty stressful. Yeah, I, I'm really glad you're pointing this out. Yeah, yes, right. Uh, suffering, the avoidance of suffering will create more suffering. And a lot of life is centered around the avoidance of suffering. And that's it. But, you know, to add, I guess, to this idea of like stress, right, is like, I think, you know, with enough life experience, you, you come to realize that no matter which path, actually, you choose to honor in your life, there's going to be conflict to negotiate. You, you can't escape having conflict. Mm-hmm. So if we, so if we go so far as to choose to avoid it at all conflict with others, we'll eventually end up breeding this conflict within ourselves. And so similarly, if we tend toward the inner work that we're talking about, then who we are will eventually, honestly, one way or another, it's going to create some friction with those who would rather us stay who they want us to be. So this cost of being who you are is that you will simply not be able to meet everyone's expectations mm-hmm. as well. You're going to disappoint people. That's you right. won't be able to keep everyone happy. Yep. I mean, I get... And it's incredibly courageous to not only pursue your true self, but then to share it. Because yeah. knowing that you are going to disappoint people if you do that, that's just part of being human. Uh, right. But to do it anyway is such a courageous act. And that's perhaps why from the very beginning we said that many people are going to choose to just keep sleepwalking. sleepwalking. Yeah. So I'm just I'm wanting to, to point out you can ignore your soul and spirit away and keep on pleasing everyone around you. Um, but whether you recognize it or, or not, a previous part of you is dying inside when you do. And that is what you could call the internal repressed conflict or just the friction that's, you know, when you keep it inside, you, you kind of feel invisible. Yeah. For me, it's, it's, it's like 
probably, yeah, 30 of my 48 years to realize that not being who I am is more deadly. Hmm. Like it's much more toxic. And I've probably been making a practice out of this, of the pursuit of really checking in with um, in the the true self, you know, the, the voice of true self's guidance in my life. Um, and it's hard work, right? But you know, this is the good, this is good stuff. This is the, this yeah. is the good life. And sometimes it's easy actually, cause you're in flow and balance and you are feeling great. And sometimes it's super hard because you don't yes. want to listen to it, right? You'd rather just kind of put the blinders on and plow ahead and do do the thing you've always done. Yeah, and I think I think too what we sometimes see in our clients and, ex- and experience in ourselves is like we we use some of these tools and processes that are available to us, information, you know, it's, and then we we feel better and we are, think we're fixed and and, yeah, and because we don't want to have to keep working. And so we stop using the tools. Yeah, which I get, right? This, But when yeah, we stop, that's when things go sideways. So just like brushing your teeth is something you do all the time, these practices are something you do all the time. If the goal is... Um, fulfillment is meaning is purpose. It's, it's the nature of, of big self is to be pushing in an activated, you know, energized way, do, but doing it with just some humility, remembering that, you know, as you experience failure, set, setbacks, whatever, you know, what we would call just pain, you add a little reflection there. That's, that's called progress. Mm-hmm. I think a good formula for us would be humility plus audacity. Equals big self. Ooh, that's a good formula. Maybe. Yeah, it, it's it's like if you if you push the limit, you're you're eventually going to fail, and if if you have this sense of adventure, you're eventually going to experience some setbacks. Although that's kind of scaring me, as like I think about doing an RV trip, I don't want to have setbacks. a flat tire. <laughs> you know, may I not manifest that? Yeah. Um, but it is sort of this paragraph par- paragraph um, thing. It's a paradox, and you kind of have to have both. Yeah. I feel like this is unresolved. Um, There's a lot more that I want to say about this topic. But I'll just say this as my final thought. It's worth the effort, everything we're talking about here, because this is really the territory we're aiming for. Yeah. And it's like the idea that you will know us because of the results that you see. Oh, that's right. Yes, those are the outcomes. And yeah, we will continue to bring you some tools and ideas for how to break ground in whatever territory you find yourself in. We will see you next week. And a blessing as we leave. May you always be blessed with walls for the winds, a roof for the rain, tea beside the fire, laughter to cheer you, those you love near you, and all that your heart might desire. See you next time.